And so they always say that you never know when your last game is going to be or always play like it's your last. Yeah, that was my last shit. That was my last game. We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becky, oh, well placed. Abby Duncan was an incredibly active kid. I played volleyball, I did track, cross country. She was coordinated, athletic, and talented. Um, I was actually a secondary black belt martial arts too. So I trained in that for like 10 plus years. Loved it. Um, but none of these sports really ever held a candle to one in particular. Basketball. Well, growing up in New Braunfels, Texas, super close to San Antonio, so I grew up a very big San Antonio Spurs fan. Um, basketball is just one sport. It was just the love of the game. It was just something about it that it would keep me as a kid staying out from like in the morning until you could not see anything outside. It was so dark, just shooting baskets in the driveway by myself. Um, I didn't really get into a club or team or anything like that until like sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade, I believe. Um, so I was a pretty late bloomer when it came to club ball, um, but I love the team atmosphere of it, and that's what carried me through my career. Abby played in club, high school, and had aspirations of playing in college. But then she started to notice something happening in her body. Going into my senior year is when everything kind of took a little turn. <laughs> Everything took a turn going into her senior year of high school in 2013. But the origins of what was happening inside her body really began several years before that. In 2008, I actually tore my meniscus in my left knee. Um, actually, during martial arts, I landed wrong, spurred my ankle pretty bad and tore it. But we didn't know I tore it for until two months later. <laughs> it was triple the size, super swollen, so I ended up having surgery. Um, but after surgery, I still had the pain and swelling and color changes and temperature when we didn't really know why, because physically I was healed. Um, and that pain went from my left leg to my right leg. And my right leg was completely fine in the beginning and then moved my lower back down. And it turned out I had what was called complex changeal pain syndrome or CRPS. Basically, if you say you break your ankle, it's going to hurt. Your brain is going to send this pain signal saying, hey, I'm in pain. But with CRPS, say the ankle is healed your brain never stops sending those pain signals. So you're in pain when you really shouldn't be. And so that's what happened with me and it, it progressed. Um, and so I was able to manage my pain until I was about 17. Um, I, we are actually sitting in a locker room or on a weight tournament when I was in high school. And I remember just bawling, my uniform hurt to put on. I just, it just felt like I was on fire, I could not move no idea what was going on, why it was getting so bad. Cause I tried to stay away from doctors and prescriptions cause of all the side effects and blah, blah, blah. And it got to the point of like, okay, I need help. And so I remember the first doctor we went to put me on a medication and a few days later, my mom thought I was having a stroke in the kitchen. I was on the floor with my head tilted, my eyes were glossed over and I was drooling and I was just not there. Um, and went back to the doctor and doctor said, well, sorry, if that's not working, then I can't help you. So fast forward a few months later, um, I had a lumbar nerve block or two of them done. 
in my lower back um, and it just didn't go as planned. And so I walked for with a limp on my right side for about two months, uh, had another treatment that was non-invasive that was supposed to help scribble the pain messages that has very good high success rates among the chronic pain community. Um, but it also did not go as planned. And I woke up one morning, um, fell flat on my face and was not able to walk. And um, the doctor said, if you really care about your well-being and your health, you will never play basketball again. You will never drink caffeine and you will never get tattoos. I have six tattoos and I have another <laughs> tattoo appointment on October 2nd. I'm stoked. Um, and so hearing that going into my senior year of high school, I'm like, oh, shit, <laughs> like this sucks. You go from two feet and then I go into this treatment that was supposed to be the cure, the end all. And I come back in a wheelchair. Um, and so I was actually able to go down to MD Anderson in Houston. Um, and at that time I was just borrowing a wheelchair to get around school. And we asked the doctor, should, do I need to look at getting my own wheelchair or is this just, just like a temporary thing we can get it fixed up and then I'll be on my way. And I remember he looked down at the floor, looked at me, looked at my mom back on the floor. And then he said, you should probably look at getting your own wheelchair. Abby went from being a kid who could run miles, dive to dig a volleyball, and throw a roundhouse kick, to a 17-year-old who relied on a cane to walk and was on her way to buying her own wheelchair. The changes her life was undergoing were massive and dizzying. Going from trading in my two shoes for two wheels just definitely was not easy. Um, First and foremost, I didn't know anyone else in my town that had a physical disability, strictly physical. Um, and so that was new for me. I was being the first person I knew um, and no one around me was very familiar with it either. And so I had aspirations of playing in college and living a normal life, just like any about to be high school graduate. Um, and so all the pain prescriptions that I was on were some heavy duty stuff. And I eventually got addicted to it. And there was one morning or one night that I'd set my phone alarm for 2.22 in the morning. No clue why I did that time. Um, but at that point I was ready to throw in the towel. This is it. I'm tired of being that burden to my friends, my family, spending tons of money on medical bills. Cause I also knew at that time that I was putting a burden on my parents between their relationship. Now they're divorced. Um, and I was like, hey, this is it. And so my mom at the time kind of knew what was going on. So she had, she hid all the prescriptions prior, but forgot one bottle out. And so I went out, got it, brought it back to my room. And I remember standing in front of the mirror with the lights off. And I could feel like tears coming down my face. Took the bottle, threw it away, got back in bed. And this time it was probably like 2.30, I think. And I closed my eyes and tried to go back to sleep. Within 30 seconds, I thought, holy shit, what did I just do? Imme immediate regret. Um, I just had this all of a sudden gut feeling I never felt before that you are so much better than this. There's so much out there. You just, you done goofed. And so I had more guilt in waking up my mom at 2.45 in the morning than I did actually doing it. 
And so telling my mom who has spent hours driving to doctor's appointments, money for prescriptions and co-pays, hey, I'll basically saying, hey, I appreciate your efforts, but it wasn't good enough. I'm tired. I think I had way more guilt in that than actually doing it. And so we ended up going to the hospital. Um, I drank this god awful liquid charcoal. Um, and then that was my rock bottom. That was my wake up call. Like there's so much more. And then that's when I found World Ultra Basketball. Shortly after her overdose, Abby was in the depths of YouTube and came across videos of wheelchair basketball from the London 2012 Paralympics. It was definitely a wake-up call for me. I was like, oh shit, you know what, maybe I can do this. Maybe there is something more out there. I didn't know people with physical disabilities could be athletes. I didn't know they could be independent. I didn't know that they could go out and live this life and be happy and be content in who they are. And so I knew I had to try it. Um, my dad is also a former military, a retired Marine Corps. And so we had access to Fort Sam in San Antonio. And so I went to go try the sport for the very first time with guys twice my size, twice my age, um, that were dealing with their new injuries from overseas. And then I come in as this scrawny white girl, like, hey guys, want to try the sport for the first time, loved it. And then um, they were like, hey, you know, you got a pretty good shot. Let's, there's actually a team here in San Antonio called Parasports Spurs. You should go check them out. So I went to go watch a practice and then ended up getting a chair, played a season with them. And then about a month or two, when I think I got recruited to go play at UT Arlington. UT Arlington had just established a women's wheelchair basketball team to compete in the National Wheelchair Basketball Association Intercollegiate Division. And so we got a bunch of girls. We had no idea who each other were. We didn't know anything about them. So first year was hard. We were just all a lot of bitches because <laughs> you just put a lot of girls together <laughs> for that long. And but Throughout those five years, we grew as a family. We we're still super close. Um, and they are a huge reason why I was successful on the college team and the national team. Um, and so we were able to claim two national championships while I was there. And so we were able to set the foundation for that program and going forward. But it was actually before Abby became a member of the Lady Moving Mavs that her career with Team USA began. It started with a conversation at a basketball summer camp. And this guy came up to me and said, hey, have you ever thought about going to a, develop, a USA development camp? And I had no idea who this guy was, never heard of him, never seen him before, but turned out to be the assistant coach for the USA team. Um, and so I was like, yeah, sure. And so I went to my first development team or team camp to kind of learn the coaches, how they do things on an inter international level. And within about a month or two is when I got my formal invite to try out for the national team. And I almost emailed back the coach saying, hey, appreciate it, but I think you got the wrong person. Like, I just started. I don't know what you're trying to do here or if this is just a bad joke. Um, but I went to my first trial in 2015 for the Parapan Am Games in Canada and was fortunate enough to make my first team. And so all those girls that I had watched in 2012 on YouTube were now my teammates. And that was a surreal moment. Um, and getting to see our flag, even the Rio games, go up a little higher than everybody else's was really cool. She won gold at the Parapan American Games in Canada. A year later, she won gold at the Paralympics in Tokyo. Being in the wheelchair basketball world, playing for these two high-level teams, 
Abby found her best friends and mentors. She settled into an environment that made her comfortable and gave her confidence. So growing up in New Braunfels at the time was a small town, very conservative sort of sense. And then going into a world where I was with the team and people and staff that were so opening and welcoming, that gave me a whole new insight and perspective that I never realized. So that's when I was felt more comfortable to come out as gay. Um, and so our head coach at the time, Stephanie Wheeler, huge advocate for LGBTQ and for disability rights. Um, she was a huge reason that I felt comfortable to come out at the time. We had also a few teammates that were also publicly out. Um, and so we we're all very a tight knit group. And so, and that really set the foundation for me and gave me the perspective, oh shit, you know what? There are people out there that are just awesome <laughs> and opening or open and open-minded, you know? And I remember at that Parapan End game was the first time that I had been around people from other countries of different races, different cultures, spoke different languages. And coming from Texas, I was like, wow, that's a whole new world. I didn't realize it. And realize how little of a box I lived in. And then being able to travel with the national team, like there's a whole nother world out there. And so I think being a successful athlete is not just accolades and the medals, because those are just hardware. Like mine are sitting in a backpack right now. <laughs> um, I think it's a lot more, we're seeing a lot more now is athletes speaking up for racial equality and justice and LGBT rights and all this kind of stuff, which is great. And then keeping that conversation going and then doing what we can off court or off the field. Um, but yeah. After winning another gold at the under 25 wheelchair basketball world championships in Thailand in 2019, Abby set her sights on helping Team USA qualify for Tokyo. They accomplished that goal in December 2019. But meanwhile, as Abby dreamed about having another Paralympic medal hang around her neck, People in offices in Germany and Switzerland were having conversations that would soon snuff out her hopes. So what exactly am I saying here? Well, Abby and I are gonna tag team this to explain. So with Paralympic sports, um, you're classified based on your disability. The International Paralympic Committee describes classification as the, quote, cornerstone of the Paralympic movement. And this is why it's so important. Not all intellectual impairments or limb deficiencies are the same, right? Two athletes might have, say, cerebral palsy or congenital blindness, but the degree to which these conditions affect Movement, balance, propulsion could be very different from athlete to athlete. Those differences, that's what the classification process is attempting to address. It's about creating a playing field that, as the IPC puts it, minimizes the impact of the impairment on athletes' performance so that the sporting excellence determines which athlete or team is ultimately victorious. Athlete classification involves doctor's notes, 
assessments during all sorts of activities, checking off criteria, a classification panel. It's very not straightforward. Um, and they were, before allowing those with CRPS and those with invisible chronic illnesses or disabilities to compete, um, last year they came out and said that they were not going to allow that anymore. Talking more specifically, wheelchair basketball players are classified as belonging to one of eight classes, 1.0, 1.5, 2.0, 2.5, and so on. The higher the player's classification on the court, the greater the player's functional ability. Abby was classified as a 3.5. And so the sum of the five players on the court at any given time during International Paralympic Committee events must be 14 or less. Obviously, I'm coming into this super late and very much as an outsider, but for years, there has been back and forth among the governing bodies in wheelchair basketball about classification. At the core of it is this. The IWBF, that is the International Wheelchair Basketball Federation, defines eligible impairments differently to those defined by the IPC, the International Paralympic Committee. And the IWBF and many athletes worldwide say that the IPC's classes are too rigid and that as a result, many disabilities slip through the cracks. They aren't recognized, leaving many athletes unable to compete. The IPC believes that the IWBF's non-compliance has led to athletes competing who have impairments which are not up to code. Abby's condition, complex regional pain syndrome is one impairment that has slipped through the cracks because of IPC definitions. So the IPC wanted athletes like Abby to be reassessed or bow out essentially to their ineligibility. And so I knew I was going to be kicked out as well as many other athletes that have been in the sport forever have been forced to retire. Um, and so I knew with my health, I want, at the same time, I want to focus on my health and get back on my feet, but I wanted to retire on my own terms and not by some dude sitting on a high podium telling me that, okay, yeah, you, you can't play anymore. Um, and so that decision was not taken lightly. I, I'm pretty sure I spent 12 hours in bed balling. Um, and that was, I think, three months after being named to the Tokyo team. Um, and in quarantine as well, um, that was, yeah, that was a hard decision. I can't overstate how serious this disagreement and the consequences from IPC decisions have been. There are athletes with conditions like Abby's who have been asked to be labeled as something they don't see themselves as in order to compete. Some have even talked about amputation as a way to stay eligible. Um, and on the papers they were sending, they were wanting to put me as a, some sort of classification that I wasn't, and it didn't set well for me, and I knew my time was coming, um, so I voluntarily took myself out before they took me out. On May 12, 2020, 
Abby announced her retirement. I remember a lot of people reaching out for interviews and stuff right after, and I, it still hadn't hit me that this was it. And the last time I'd play would be 2019 after helping our team qualify. Um, and then, yeah, it was it was a rough time. So you were named to the Tokyo team and then found out that those with your disability would not be eligible? Right. With strength and dignity, maybe also with a clenched fist and gritted teeth, Abby said goodbye to an experience that had lifted her up out from rock bottom and embraced her when she didn't want to embrace herself. It was hard to cope. <laughs> In 2020, you can't get out, you can't really do anything. And then also just not retiring and a whole nother thing, but also life after retirement and going after a full-time job in quarantine. And I had just gotten actually certified as a personal trainer when all the gyms closed. So I was really like, shit, <laughs> what am I gonna do? Um, and so in August of 2020, I moved to North Carolina. My partner and I did, wanted something new. She's a real estate broker, wanted something new somewhere with actual trees. It gets below 60 here for once. It's weird, I know. Um, and now I'm actually working on my, um, being a certified strength and conditioning specialist. So now I'm a strength coach for youth sports. <laughs> it's been over a year and a half since her final appearance in a USA Jersey. And so they always say that you never know when your last game is going to be, or always play like it's your last. Yeah, that was my last shit. That was my last game. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And so looking back. Yeah. Did you play like it was your last? Yeah, the last game we lost, but <laughs> um, we qualified. So, I mean, who can all say that their last game they were able to qualify for the Olympic and Paralympic Games? In just a few weeks, Abby will be watching her teammates take the floor in the tournament she helped them qualify for. It's, it's bittersweet seeing all the ads for Tokyo and watching the Olympic trials and seeing my former teammates at training camps and all the gear coming out. It's like, I'm so excited for them, excited to see what they're gonna do in Tokyo. But it's like, damn it, I was gonna be there. She's on the outside looking in now, retired because of messy systems and discriminatory attitudes that permeate sport and every aspect of society that able-bodied athletes will never understand. Paralympic athletes train just as hard. We use the same resources. We even wheelchair basketball play by the same rules, just about the same. Um, we give the same amount of time. We travel everywhere. But Paralympics don't get the recognition that it deserves or the money or sponsorships that athletes deserve. And so when you're done, you're done, that's it. And then having a disability, retiring, and then having to go on with life, you're still gonna be looked down upon no matter what. Um, Olympic athletes, most of them have to have, like we all have to have full-time jobs, we have to go to school, we have to do these things while training full-time. Um, but I think after sport, Paralympic athletes are still looked down upon no matter what, but times are changing. 
NBC is giving a lot more coverage for Olympic sports. Toyota has done an amazing job in sponsoring all Olympic and Paralympic athletes going forward. Um, I think even by 2024, we're going to see a whole different ballgame. She knows there will be pangs watching the games this year and for years to come, thinking about all the what could have beens. But Abby feels proud of what she accomplished and a sport she stumbled upon one day. A sport that showed her what she was capable of and how good life could be after moments where it feels like everything's been ripped away. Looking back, I can say I'm content with the way my career went. Um, at last year, I couldn't say I was content with how it ended, but I am content. I think everything happens for a reason. Manifest in the universe, but yeah, I think everything happened exactly the way it's supposed to. Thank you to Abby Duncan for coming on to the podcast. And thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.